It's episode 17 of the Keto for Women show. You're listening to the Keto for Women show, and I'm your host and nutritionist, Sean Miner. This show is designed to empower women to find their own expression of the keto diet to maximize their health and happiness. Now let's get started with today's episode. Hey, hey, friends. Welcome back to Keto for Women. I'm Sean. Thank you so much for being here. As always, super appreciate your support. Uh, Today, we have a special guest, one of my friends and colleagues in the keto community. I'm very excited for you all to meet her. But first, let's just chat a little bit. Uh, When this episode airs, I will be almost on my way to the beautiful Belize. I'm just assuming it's beautiful. I've actually never been there. This is my first time, but I'm pretty sure Belize is spectacularly beautiful, we'll say, but I'll let you know for sure when I come back. I'm also excited to share with you just kind of how I made keto happen. I will be sharing lots of my keto foods and how I make it happen on vacation uh, over on my social media channels. So you can find me at Sean Minor Health on Instagram and Facebook, and I'll keep you updated on how that goes when I come back as well. Today we're talking about diabetes, and as probably most of you know, there are two different forms of diabetes, type 1 and type 2. We're going to go over the difference in this episode. We're going to talk about signs that either one of them is present in your body, how you can manage it using the ketogenic diet, other kinds of ways you can control it and, and reverse it. And it's just a really great conversation. But one of the things that I love to do when I have experts on the show is just to also get their real life stuff, like what they eat in a day, how they made keto work for them. Do they track and measure? What did they find that worked and didn't work? Did they have any failures? Um, I just, I like getting that information from these people because obviously they had to go through their own trial and error as well. They're just like us and they have been able to find what works for them and most likely it's not what works for you. So I think it's great to get these stories out and see how many different versions of keto there are and how that also can help with specific health conditions. When we have these special guests on the Keto for Women show, Again, it's not always going to be something that you personally relate to, but there are so many cases of diabetes, both type 1 and type 2, around that more than likely you know someone who is dealing with this kind of health issue. Blood sugar diseases are an epidemic, so chances are likely that you know someone that you could help with this information. So you are doing a service to the people in your community by listening into this show, getting the information and relaying that information yourself or having them listen in, whichever you prefer. But just keep that in mind when we see topics that it's like, oh, well, that's not going to be all that exciting. You have no idea who you're going to be able to help in the future. It may even be yourself or your family member, your spouse. But regardless, you know somebody that this message would really benefit. So keep that in mind as we listen to the show. Before we get on to Hannah, I do want to go over really quick because we don't talk a lot about this in the interview, what exactly type 2 diabetes is. So she does go over type 1 diabetes and the difference between type 1 and type 2, but I want to just kind of give this 
very layman's terms of what it means to be a type 2 diabetic. So basically what happens is in a normal functioning blood sugar regulation, when we eat food that turns into glucose in our bodies, we release insulin from our pancreas and that basically shuttles the glucose into your cells. So it takes that glucose molecule, kind of holds holds it by its hand, shuffles it down to your cell, and then opens the door to your cell so that glucose can get in. And this happens every single time we have glucose in our blood. No big deal, right? The problem comes in when that system has been overworked And that has happened so much, which is why it's very prevalent in people who have eaten a lot of carbohydrate, because that happens every single time they eat to a significant degree, to the point where that system is overworked, no longer responds, and basically your cells kind of tap out and ignore that system. And when that happens, we have all this insulin trying to do its job, in your bloodstream, trying to get that glucose into your cell, that system isn't working anymore. So then you have high fasting glucose and high all the time glucose. So blood sugars are really high. Your insulin is really high because there's too much trying to circulate and nothing going into the cell, but you feel really terrible and you feel really run down. That's kind of an overarching view of what actually happens and why it happens. So again, if we get on some sort of diet where we're not having this glucose response and not needing insulin as much, that's when we can reverse what is going on. We can give that system a rest, lower these insulin levels and your glucose levels, and the system can start working again. It's just like it tapped out. There was too much going on. It needs a break. And then it can actually start functioning again. But we need to give that break. And that's where having a ketogenic diet, which is very low in glucose, obviously, because we're low in carbohydrate, can do that. Okay, so that's kind of the backstory. I just wanted to share that because I know it's a very prevalent term like, oh, diabetes and insulin resistance and metabolic syndrome. But yet a lot of us don't know exactly why that happened. And then You know, type 1 diabetes, which we'll talk about in this episode, is an autoimmune disease. That is something where your body just does not produce insulin. So that whole system is quote unquote broken from the start. And it's because your immune system has kind of attacked that system per se. And so that's just kind of something that's innate in your body and you will always have to manage that. And that's why we really talked to Hannah about is how you can manage that and really make it very tolerable by using a ketogenic diet. So without further ado, let me introduce Hannah. Hannah Boethius has lived with type 1 diabetes as her constant companion for over 30 years, and it was as if her whole life fell into place when she started eating low-carb in 2011. She has gained much of her health back thanks to simply eating right. Hannah is a coach, writer, and speaker who loves diabetes topics that are off the beaten track. She's passionate to find motivational, inspiring ways to bring about a change in the diabetes management with international public speaking engagements and smaller workshops as her weapons of choice. Through her own company, Hannah Diabetes Expert, she's coached numerous people with diabetes to a healthier life. She has a profound understanding of how things like nutrition and lifestyle choices can balance diabetes. Hannah is also on the board of trustees of the Swedish nonprofit organization Smart Diabetic, 
whose purpose is to spread information about low-carb and diabetes. She's also the co-founder of the first 100% low-carb conference of its kind in Europe called the Low-Carb Universe, which I will be attending. Let's chat with Hannah. Hi, Hannah. Thank you so much for coming on Keto for Women today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's such a joy and pleasure to speak to you again. And of course, talk as friends because it's been a while since we have last chatted. So we had to catch up as friends. And we actually know each other from originally the Low Carb Cruise back in 2016, I believe. And I uh, got to know each other there and had a great time. And now we're going to be at the Low Carb Universe together. You're actually one of the um, organizers of that yeah. Low Carb Universe. <laughs> the whole reason I'm going to Mallorca for two weeks, which is going to be amazing. And I told the <laughs> listeners about that a few weeks ago. But let's get on with talking about you. Tell me your story. Tell me where you've been, what you have going on, and how you got to this Low Carb lifestyle. Oh, it was a little too long of a story, actually, too long of a background, <laughs> but uh, I'll try to snap it up a little bit. Um, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was two years old, which is this year, 32 years ago. Mm. So it's been a while, um, and uh, growing up was a bit of a, a hassle. I was the only one in my school for a long time who had it, and you know, injections and having to eat differently from the other kids. Although it was still terrible what I was eating, uh, <laughs> uh, it was it was a bit of extra hassle and always have to sneak out for snacks and you know it made me feel very different, um, which ended up with me being quite bullied for a while. But I mean, I guess most people go through that. I guess <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunately part of the thing of growing up. Yeah. I think nowadays, yeah. but even more so when you're living with something that you didn't absolutely. Want to Please. I uh, did everything that I wanted to do when I was a kid. I did all my hobbies and my parents were super supportive. My mom was terrified of needles when I was, um, when I was diagnosed and I think she still is. Um, but, you know, trying to chase around her two-year-old with big needles a couple of times a day didn't quite... I feel like that it, could it was... be kind of traumatizing. Yeah, it wasn't quite what nor she uh, or me had imagined yes. <laughs> this whole parent daughter thing to be um so uh, we we had our dusts and and fights i think but it all got about a gazillion times worse when i became a teenager and i of course really wanted to be like everyone else um and i basically on and off i just stopped caring about my diabetes i didn't take care of myself because it didn't matter what i did Mm-hmm. It still didn't work out. I still had ro- roller coaster blood sugars. I still um, didn't see the, the effects that I wanted. It's, it was still such a big mess that at times I just didn't see the, the reason to keep going. I was just like, well, it doesn't matter what I do. I can try. I can not try. I get the same result. It, it doesn't matter. And that was, of course, all down to the fact. Well, the main part of the fact was that I was eating exactly as I was told. Mm-hmm. Because when I was diagnosed in 1985, that was, um, of course, the height of the low-fat craze and, you know, diabetics smelling a stick of butter, they might just keel over and die. <laughs> um, and it, it, was, it was, you know, it was really, really bad. I remember even, like, when we, on the rare occasion that we went out for uh, McDonald's or something or a hamburger, uh, I remember having, like, my little Happy Meal thing and... Because it said so in my meal plan, 
I also had to drink two deciliters of skim milk to it. Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, and this was, of course, my parents didn't know any better. Um, and no one told us anything different because that was the way you were supposed to eat. And this, of course, led to me, I was unwell, I uh, was sick a lot because my immune system just didn't know what, what was going on, of course. In the end, what brought me to the low-carb way of life was actually a burnout. Um, I had, of course, because my blood sugars were so terrible, and I had tried to get it working time and time and time again, and nothing worked. I had changed uh, insulins, I had changed foods, I had changed exercise, I had changed everything, but I just couldn't get it right. That, was, that of course, helped me on my way to a significant and spectacular burnout. And coming to terms with my health and stuff after that, that is what led me into becoming a nutrition coach. And it was in that education where my teacher single-handedly saved my life. Wow. Something that no doctor had been able to do in 26 years. Because we were talking about carbs and how they work in the body and the role of insulin and all that stuff. Uh, that is super interesting and quite vital to know, except no one had told me. In 26 years of having this uh, disease and so he pointed me out in front of the class and he was like you know what Hannah you don't even produce insulin I'm like no no I am painfully aware you know I have to poke myself a couple of times a day because of that he's like if I were you I'd really think twice what I would eat and this was my amazing aha moment I'm like wow Oh my gosh. And it took a teacher to do that over a doctor. Yes. Yeah. No doctor, no dietitian, no psychologist, no nurse, no nothing of healthcare professionals that I had gone to in 26 years had been able to tell me this. And he just snapped. Yeah. Put me right in my place. <laughs> so then that was kind of the turning point. So then how did that look from there on out? Did you just go home and immediately take out all bread and rice and pasta and just go for it? No, I was way too hesitant and way too uh, in disbelief, I think, uh, to do that. So I first I got really angry. I got really pissed off, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, at, you know, all these people who had been telling me, yeah, but you need to eat 60% of carbs with every meal and you have to follow the ADA or equivalent. This is what the, this is what the experts are telling me. Um, and so I started slowly to take out everything with gluten because gluten and autoimmune uh, issues don't go together at all. Right. So I started with that. And also my dad has celiac disease, so it could be good and that can be hereditary. So I'm like, well, gluten seems like a logical place to start. <laughs> so I did. So I took out the pasta and the bread and everything else that had gluten in it. And of course, immediately saw it on my blood sugar levels from being you know, a roller coaster from top to bottom every day uh, without you know, without a, a break, almost, I immediately saw that the roller coaster sort of dissipated a bit. The peaks were lower, and the, the, the dips were higher sort of thing. So it sort of equaled out slowly. And then I'm like, well, what can I do more to do this? So what else has carbs in it? Hmm. Okay, let's take out the rice and all the all the other gluten free grains and stuff. And of, again, the same thing. I saw a dramatic shift in uh, in my blood sugars. 
which was fantastic. Um, and then in the end, long story short, in the end, I went from sort of being liberal paleo thing then six years ago when this happened to now being ketogenic under 30 carbs a day, uh, sort of LCHF eating. How did that switch go from being just kind of low carb paleo to keto? Like, how did you do that? How'd you get there? What did it look like? Uh, it took about three years because at the beginning when I started lowering my, my carbs, I of course didn't think of the vital fact that I will need a lot less insulin. So through trial and error and very many hypoglycemias, um, I found out that, oh yeah, I need to change that part as well. That's actually an equilibrium. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> so it basically from realizing that and then being able to taking down my insulin from about before I took about 100 units a day until now when I take 15 to 25 units a day wow, uh, is a huge improvement and it makes my life so much easier. Um, but yeah, it took me about three years from starting going low carb to going keto. It was actually right before my first cruise in 2015. What did you what did you notice when that happened? Well, first of all, why did you decide to switch just because you realized probably increasing your fat would help along everything as well, I'm assuming. And then how did you feel after that? Did you notice any changes? Well, I just basically went on the amount of carbs. Um, so my logic when I started keto was, ah, I can take down the carbs even more. So less carbs means less blood sugar. Um, sort of from the food part there's of course there, there are carbs in, in basically everything we eat anyway but at least I could eliminate the food part of carbs so that was my reasoning to go keto because in my brain and it still works three three years later is that the less or the least amount of carbs means the least amount of hassle mm -hmm. in terms of logic yeah that makes so then, much sense yeah, and then the fat part sort of came naturally because I had to be satiated with something. <laughs> right. You have to get food from somewhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, well, this butter is awfully good. <laughs> <laughs> and what did your blood sugar do in response to that? It, did it continue to improve? Yes, it did. Um, before keto, I think my A1C had been stuck around sort of the 6% mark for quite a while. Now, I was super happy about that because when you go to an endocrinologist, they're like, oh, yeah, anything sort of around seven, seven and a half is great. Six is sort of setting the example. I'm like, no, no, I'll show you. <laughs> right. I'm going to do better than that. <laughs> exactly. So I went from sort of a 6% sort of A1C to what I have today, which is about 5.2, oh, which is amazing. fully fully healthy, normal levels of, yeah. uh, of A1C, which I'm super happy about because not a lot of people can do that um, after this long with living with diabetes. It's quite easy if you've been like newly diagnosed and you still have a bit of own insulin production left and all this stuff. But it, I'm sorry, it does get increasingly difficult uh, the more time passes and the less own production you have left. So you basically turned then all of this that you learned into now what you do as a career, correct? Yes. So cool. And now you're helping others 
uh, try to get their diabetes under control. So that's why we call you the diabetes expert. And that's why we're talking about diabetes today. Um, So going into that, can you explain for anybody who doesn't know, which I'm sure there are, what type one diabetes means and why it's different than type two diabetes? Absolutely. Type 1 diabetes is what they still assume because they haven't found any other viable theories, (laughs) is that it's an autoimmune disease. So basically, my immune system was triggered by something and it went into my pancreas to my insulin producing cells and going, hey, you guys are looking funky. I'm going to wipe you guys out because I don't like the look of you. And there you go. And that means that I have no own uh, production of uh, insulin at all. And I have to get everything externally from uh, my trusted and loved uh, insulin pump. Type 2, on the other hand, is when you produce too much insulin. So your cells um, are sitting there swimming in insulin, but they don't recognize, uh, recognize it so that they can open up the, the gates and let the sugar in. And that is the main simplified version of what uh, the difference is. Yeah. And so for you, like you mentioned, you were diagnosed when you were two years old. So this was something that was innate in your body from birth, essentially, right? And for uh, type two, this is something that develops over time in, in, in adults and uh, now, unfortunately, some kids. So how does this happen for type two diabetes? Well, there are many factors. It can be hereditary, hereditary as well. Uh, but Mainly, it's just your pancreas gets exhausted. It doesn't, it just overproduces and overproduces and your cells become number and number towards it. And then type 2 is a fact. And a lot of people now attribute it, I, I hopefully becoming more and more, attribute it to our diets, right? Like we're just over-consuming carbs and that's what causes it? And um, that is one way to make sure that you get type 2, yes, uh, to really exhaust your pancreas um, and making sure that the, the effect of the insulin doesn't stay the same. Right. Okay. So now we have people probably concerned that maybe they have or know someone that has type 1 and maybe they know or someone that has type 2. So what can we do to kind of find that out for ourselves or for our loved ones if that is something that is the case? Is there testing options? What do we do? Go to our doctor? Uh, That is a first, pretty good first uh, line of defense, absolutely. Go to your doctor and get a fasting blood glucose test, um, which should not be, according to official levels, over, I think, 126 um, that indicates diabetes and an A1C test, HbA1c, which measures the hemoglobin in the blood and how basically how sticky it is from carbs. Um, and that should not be over uh, 5.7, then you're pre-diabetic. And then 6.5 and higher is diabetic. Okay, and those are both the same tests for both type 1 and type 2. You would yeah. be diagnosed the same way. But type 1, like uh, you mentioned, and other people will that have it will agree, happens much sooner in your life, typically, correct? Typically, yes, or it has been that way so far, but we also see that changing. Um, I see a lot more people being diagnosed sort of 30s, 40s as well. Mm. Uh, but then it usually takes the form of... Uh, LADA, which is latent autoimmune diabetes in adults, which is basically type 1, but it's a much slower onset. So it can take years 
Um, so a lot of them get misdiagnosed as type 2, mainly because of their age. And then they uh, get treatment and the treatment doesn't work. And that is, of course, because they're technically slow onset type 1s. And that is a huge issue in healthcare right now. Wow, I didn't even realize that. Okay, uh, so you just mentioned treatment. For type 2 diabetes, what is the typical treatment if they go to the doctor and go through that route? And that would include what they're asking or telling their patients to do for diet. What, do, what is the standard care for diabetes right now? Uh, for type 2s, is actually quite open-minded or more open-minded than for type 1. Um, usually they get a pill called metformin, which basically helps uh, the body to become more sensitive towards insulin or the cells. And then they're told to uh, change their diet and exercise. Of course, this diet change does not automatically involve keto, although it should. <laughs> but, right. it, you know, in, in a lot of cases... The the case is that they have eaten a lot of terrible foods before, a lot of junk food, a lot of sugar, a lot of these franken foods that are, you know, uh, so common in our society today, unfortunately. And then from there, it's sort of, there's a lot you can do. So, for example, removing the fast food, removing the bad, the bad oils, the, the sugary stuff and, and the cereals and all this stuff that clearly doesn't help a blood sugar regulation. So that's for type 2. They, of course, get told that they have to eat a normal, balanced diet, whatever that means, but they, that they should watch out with the sugar and carb content of their foods. For type 1, on the other hand, that is a little different. <laughs> we, um, or the ones who get diagnosed today, get handed insulin of two varying kinds, they get handed a glucose meter in all cases, and then they get told to live just like they should and just cover with insulin for it. So, you know, go to the birthday parties, have all the cake and ice cream in the world, and hey, you have this magical pot potion uh, in your little insulin syringe called insulin. Just use it. It's fine. Except practically it doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. And I see that time and time again where people, they're like, yeah, but I just followed what I, what I uh, was told. And they, they still feel like they're failing and they still see declining health and they still see really bad blood sugar numbers. And that's because this, this theory of, of just eating and covering for it with insulin, it, it doesn't work. There's so much more to it. There's got to be. Exactly. And exactly. do any doctors, do they try to also look at the immune system since it is categorized as an immune disease and see how that can be helped potentially too? Is that something that's part of the protocol at all? Absolutely not. <laughs> okay, gotcha. No, there, there, there's, uh, there's very little talk um, out in the normal commu diabetes community, so to speak, about for example, gut health or probiotics and, and stuff like that, stuff that can really help your immune system or even other supplements, you know, vitamin C, vitamin D, very little spoken about that when that should actually be one of the first lines of defense as well after insulin, clearly. But, you know, there's so much that you can do with food and, and supplements and just the fact that no one ever told me that um, stress management and relaxation is a big thing. And it is. It's huge. It's 
huge. Yeah, I know that you mentioned on Instagram, I see a lot that you mentioned you go to like yin yoga to help with your diabetes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it does actually really help. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. That makes it yeah, sense no, to me. No, because stress and then adrenaline and all these stress uh, hormones, they, of course, um, fuel your, your body with extra sugar that's stored in the liver and the muscles because you're supposed to be running away from this tiger that's about to eat you and not because your boss called you four times in the past hour or because you drank too much caffeine or, you know, these modern day things that, that we get stressed by. It's there for a physiological reason and we're supposed to run our legs off to get to the nearest, you know, safe, safe point. But this stress, these stress hormones and this uh, sugar doesn't, doesn't change now. It just, you have to find a way to manage your stress so that this doesn't happen in the first place. And that's why uh, I am a, bit, a big, big speaker about, you know, things like meditation and yoga and long walks and finding your sort of this stuff that makes sense for you to do to manage your stress. I could not agree more. That you're speaking my language for sure. And yeah. we have a lot of similar <laughs> languages we speak. But uh, let's go back to keto. So we know that keto works to really reverse and heal. And in your case, never going to be totally gone, but is making it a lot more manageable. And what is the case with type 2 diabetes? Does that kind of work the same way where it just becomes more manageable through keto? To a certain extent, yeah, because if a type 2 person who has essentially reversed their, their condition with keto and with all these things that are um, good for type 2s, if they start eating crappy garbage diet again, it's going to come back. Mm-hmm. So essentially, in my opinion, absolutely, um, they, they find a way to manage their condition, but they can live symptom-free and they can live, you know, really like super healthy um, without any complications or anything if they just go keto. Yes. And then they just, kind of basically, and they <laughs> just have that. to make it a lifestyle too. It's not something exactly. where it's like, okay, I'm better now. I'm going to go back to eating McDonald's and cake. Yeah. And that, that's my biggest problem when, when people call it a keto diet, Me too. because that sort of implicates that, okay, in eight weeks, like the old sort of cabbage soup diet and stuff like that, you know, mm-hmm. in eight weeks I can't go back and then everything's going to be okay. No, this is, this is for life. You have to make the commitment to, to make this your new lifestyle and your body and health is, are going to thank you so much for you doing it. And I'm sure you would agree that keto is also a great place for prevention as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If you find out that you're somehow that you are pre-diabetic, for example, go keto straight away and in maybe not in all cases, but in 95% of cases is going to help and it's going to give your life a different outcome. Yes, totally. So one more time, let's go over those tests. So fasting glucose and HbA1c are kind of the no brainers have to have, right? To see where you stand as far as your blood sugar. Yeah. And then insulin would probably be good if you can get it. If you can get it. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. I would love to do that. I mean, for me, it's pretty pointless. But (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) It's going to be zero, I can tell you. (laughs) Right. But for others, and that actually might be a good point where, you know, you see these people developing late onset type one, and they could find that out by testing their insulin, right? 
exactly because yeah. today what they how they find out if it's uh, late onset or not is basically by checking the c peptide which is that's sort of a byproduct of insulin production mm -hmm. so depending on how high the c peptide is depends on how much insulin you're you're uh, making basically um but it's not an insulin test and it's not as exact and it's not you know but it's an easier test to make okay um, I've been and, seeing more and more often, at least in my practice, and for me personally, it's kind of, it's not that hard to get fasting insulin anymore. I don't know if that used to be the case, but I add it to all of my clients when they do blood work and it's not, you know, I think it's worth it, right? <laughs> so Yeah, absolutely. It is worth it. Uh, it also depends on a bit where you are geographically mm -hmm. and what lab you're working with and all of this stuff. There are very big regional differences. And also because, of course, because of... Uh, health insurance and stuff. Exactly. That's the biggest hurdle, I think. Okay, <laughs> yeah. so we can get those tests and see where we stand. What are some other symptoms of blood sugar issues? Like what did you experience or what do your clients experience for type 1 and type 2? And are they different? No, I mean, it's pretty similar because a high blood sugar is a high blood sugar and that's the symptom in both cases, in both type 1 and type 2. And that leaves you very tired. Fatigue is no joke. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and it can sort of leave you with a bit of a brain fog. Um, it, it's very like fluffy symptoms. If you think about it, it could be type one is usually misthought as um, the common cold. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you just feel like your body's aching and you feel like shivery, but you don't really know what's going on and you feel like feverish. And you become very, very thirsty, which can also be, you know, when you have a cold, you just want to get rid of it somehow and, you know, try to flush it out. Mm -hmm. And because you're drinking so much, you also need to go to the bathroom a lot. And so the symptoms are very diffuse in a way. So that's why it's really important to not just, especially if it's a kid or something that's usually healthy. And then all of a sudden they have all these weird symptoms and they fall asleep in the middle of dinner and stuff, then really you know, open your eyes and maybe think it's better to go check it once extra than not enough. Absolutely. And type two is really the fatigue and just yeah. kind of feeling off probably. Yeah, exactly. But that is usually so it, it creeps on so slowly that usually people don't realize until they get sort of that it gets quite bad. And, you know, they start to get like, numbness in their feet which is already a start of uh, neuropathy for example um or they get worse eyesight can also be a symptom of that because it creeps on so slowly uh, that they might not even remember how it was to feel good anymore mm -hmm, they yeah. think they feel good and then you know all of a sudden doctor is like oh yeah your fasting blood sugar is you know 160 that's not good <laughs> that's not good that's not good uh, okay, so one other thing real quick that I wanted to point out, and I just want to see if you have this experience too, is that what I'm finding is people that think they're healthy and seem to be healthy on the outside, like I've eaten a really great diet my whole life. I'm really healthy. I do all this stuff. I work out. Even they are developing blood sugar issues because what we've been told as healthy our entire life growing up food-wise is contributing to that too. So it doesn't have to be because you're eating cake every day. Uh, it can also be because you're having rice, pasta, bread, and things exactly. that we thought were healthy 
cause this too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and that's, that's where I uh, fight the most with my clients. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> you know, trying to redefine this thing, what is healthy, what is not. Oh, oh, but I can't have more than whatever eggs a day. I'm like, no, no, you, you really can, though. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you can and you should. <laughs> you can and you're, pro- you're good. Someone's going to thank you for it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, okay, cool. So let's move on because I want to talk about just your version of keto and how you made this work mm-hmm. and what it looks like for you. So first of all, your food always looks so good. You really, you. you take keto to my perfect level. <laughs> it looks awesome all the time. So give people an example of some of your favorite foods, what you eat, how you make it keto. Okay, cool. Um, well, if I just go through a normal day, for example, I don't have breakfast, which is, you know, any diabetic dietitian probably has a heart attack. I'm sorry, but I don't eat breakfast. <laughs> Make it simply because keto makes me so full that I'm not hungry in the mornings. Um, I only eat when I'm hungry because that makes the most sense to me. That's when my body signalizes that, hey, you know what? I would care for some energy right now uh, instead of sort of putting stuff into my mouth just on uh, habit, basically, mm-hmm. which has been a big part of my life before. <laughs> so, of course, I eat breakfast if I'm hungry, but that almost never happens. And so I start my day with a big bucket of tea herbal tea and my supplements and stuff. And then for lunch, I usually have protein, clearly meat or fish or, or chicken or something and uh, or an omelet, which is, you know, that's my fast food eggs. Mm, yes, go so fast. I'm like, I can't even get anywhere to a restaurant in the time that it, makes, <laughs> it takes me to make an omelet. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I live quite like centrally. It's not so I live like somewhere on a mountaintop or something. <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice too, but no. <laughs> yeah, but no. <laughs> and uh, so usually lunch is pretty quick. Either it's leftovers from the night before, which is which usually tastes much, much better the next day. Um, or as I said, something with eggs or a high percentage meat sausage, for example, or something like that. That is, you know, fat, protein, and, you know, the few odd stray carbs. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I don't really snack ever. Just because, I do, again, I'm not hungry. If I am hungry, I, I'll have a snack. It's fine. But And then it's usually some almonds or olives or something, you know, just really basic and that I can just take quickly. And then for dinner, we make a little bit more of an effort, my husband and I, uh, and by the way, he's the he's the chef, and I'm the decider of what to cook. Oh, love it! That's a great relationship right there. <laughs> so we have, we have teamwork. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah, for dinner we usually make a bit more of an effort, and vegetables and meat, either a steak and then like Bernays sauce or um, herb uh, butter or something like that, or something with chicken, something with yeah. I mean, it's it. I find usually that people try to make keto so difficult. Oh my like, gosh, I cannot agree. There's so more. many, you know, there's so many things that people 
uh, think that they have to have in a meal and stuff. And I'm like, no, 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 this is, you're overthinking this way. And I'm the queen of overthinking, but people are overthinking this a lot. <laughs> yes, I agree totally. And I'm also an overthinker, but I feel like this is one thing I'm not overthinking. <laughs> yeah, because I, I've learned that actually my body's going to tell me if, if I didn't have enough fat, then a couple of hours later, I'm going to be like, hmm, maybe a seed cracker with some cheese on it. Or because I live in the country of cheese in Switzerland, um, maybe a piece of Gruyere cheese would be nice right now. I mean, my, if I just dare to listen, my body tells me what, what I need. Yeah, and it, that's a great point that if you didn't have enough fat in your previous meal, you're going to be hungry again. Whereas, yeah. as you said, if you eat truly keto and make sure you get enough fats, then you're satisfied through the night up until lunch the next day. Exactly. And you are awesome at adding fats. Like you're really good about it not just being meat and vegetables, but having all the fats along with it. Like you always have these awesome sauces and everything. So um, <laughs> that's really important too, is that you're adding fats to your meal in addition. Yeah, I, not as much as I used to. Absolutely not. I've, I've sort of taken it down a lot just because I don't want to stuff myself either. And mm-hmm. uh, that, that doesn't feel nice. <laughs> So I, I cut down on that a lot and instead of, you know, flooding my, my plate with uh, butter or, or sauce or whatever, like I used to in the beginning of keto, because then my body really needed that much more fat to, to get going, I guess. I uh, just take a little bit just for, for flavor nowadays, really. And then sort of it somehow works out because I don't take the, the most muscular parts of, of meat, for example. Mm-hmm. I like the fattier cuts, for example. So it sort of together it um, it brings the fat count up rather than having, you know, a really muscular piece of meat and then three liters of... <laughs> Drinking butter. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. This is my butter cocktail. <laughs> yeah, no. That's a really good point that I talk about on the show and I want to uh, talk about it in more detail. So in order for you to start keto, you had to be really, really high fat. And we all need that in order to get the process going, as you said. I really think so. I'm, I see that more and more um, where people who stick to that really high fat, um, especially ar- around my clients and especially around the ones who have blood sugar issues, when they stick to that really high fat amount, after a while, sort of the, the effects start sort of disappearing more and more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they don't see as much weight loss anymore. They become sort of insulin resistant again and have to go up in their insulin dosages, for example. They see it on their blood sugars that that they become a bit more um, less sensitive to the insulin, basically, if they keep going with really, really high fat. Uh, and that that's where I also am a big. <laughs> um, I always talk about, you know, how keto has to be individualized. Mm-hmm. So for one person, for example, it works to eat that high fat for a long, long time. And it's going to be, that's going to do their body so much good. Whereas for others, they might have to turn down the fat quite quickly because they didn't have as big problems, for example, from the beginning. Um, and you always, when it comes to diabetes, especially, you have to find your carb level as right. well. Yes. So maybe someone feels amazing at, you know, 100 grams a day and has amazing blood sugar values and straight curves and all this stuff. Fantastic. Go for it. I'm, no one could be happier than me. Mm-hmm. Then maybe some, some feel better on 50. Absolutely. Go ahead. And then there are people like me who feel 
the least carbs, the less problem and the less uh, and the more amazing I feel sort of thing. And uh, there you really have to, and that's what I mostly do with my, with my clients. I uh, train them to become uh, radiant rebels of their own uh, keto awesomeness. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that so much. And it's so true. And you did it for yourself. So this is a really good, and I did this too, but that's a really good example of you needing the high fat to get in, which most yeah. of us do and to kind of adapt to this whole lifestyle. But then you have all the freedom in the world to tinker around with what works best for you and your health markers that you're concerned about. And you might still need the high fat or you might be able to go down a little bit, add more protein and carbs. And I talk about this all the time, but you have to figure that out for yourself instead of going by all these rules. Because if you go by the rules, then you're eating less than 20 grams of carbs a day forever. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And then you, you keep on pounding, you know, big fatty coffees when maybe your body doesn't even need that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you still test ketones? No. Yeah. Only if I feel bad. If, only if I'm, I feel like I'm getting sick or something, then I at least want to rule out that I'm not in ketoacidosis. <laughs> yes, that's important for you. But also, you probably yeah. know that whatever you eat on a regular basis is going to keep you in. To, exactly. you know, you're not going to have any slip ups. What about carbs? So you say that you're cool with like the lower carb, the better you still eat vegetables. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not a carnivore quite yet. Um, <laughs> 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 but I mean, because I, I also like the variety that that vegetables bring. Yes. Um, if I would eat only meat, I think I there is the potential that I would get a little bit bored. <laughs> You think? Yeah, I, I would completely agree. And but I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I haven't tried it. But that's sort of my thinking process about yeah. the whole thing. That's why I haven't tried it. But so I I rotate a lot of veggies. Um. So right now it's quite a lot of Brussels sprouts because it's season for it. Mm-hmm. And um, even a bit of pumpkin, not a lot, but you know, just a little bit to just get a different flavor every once in a while. Um, a lot of, of course, uh, broccoli, cauliflower, zucchini, um, aubergine, eggplant is my big favorite. <laughs> nice. So you, yeah, you get a wide variety, and I think there is a lot of people within keto that kind of have this veggie fear, yeah. just because they have this carb fear. Yeah, exactly. But it just, I know that the dietdoctor.com has this fantastic comparison of how much 20 grams of carbs is, for example, in terms of uh, vegetables uh, versus sort of uh, ADA food (laughs) or sad food, so to speak, like bread and pasta and and all that stuff. And just looking at the amount of vegetables that you can eat for just 20 carbs, that that really put it into perspective for me. And that really took away any last sort of fears of, oh, maybe I'm getting too much or, you know, mm-hmm. do I have to log this into my fitness pal every time? I just realized that I, I can't even chew that much. <laughs> yes. I'm going to link to that yeah. that blog post you just talked about because I think that's going to be really important for people to see. But you also just brought up another really important thing that I feel very passionately about, which is Uh-oh. my fitness pal <laughs> and tracking. So yeah. you don't track every single day. God, no. I would I would drive myself insane. I have to track so many other things with blood sugar and insulin and uh, blah and blah and blah and exercise and well I do it in my head nowadays but you know technically I should be <laughs> tracking, tracking all of this stuff <laughs> and then also tracking the food it just becomes this you know then it becomes a burden for me 
Um, and for me, that's not what food is about. Food is about finding the stuff that works for me in this moment. And as soon as it doesn't function for me anymore or work for me in the same way anymore, absolutely. Then go in, tweak it, find, find a new way that works. And that where, that's where sort of tracking might come in handy, but tracking every day, year in and year out, no. <laughs> yeah, and there's so many ladies that do. And I just, I find it hard to believe that you can actually be intuitive with your food and understand what's working for you and what's not on this, like, how does my body feel level when you're so focused yeah. on what that app is saying and how many numbers you're crunching. Yeah, yeah but of course, it depends on what your goals are. If you want to be a bodybuilding fitness model, mm-hmm. then maybe you, <laughs> maybe that actually makes sense for you. Yeah, but if that's you your job. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> paid for. Um, uh, but if you're just, just if you're a person who wants better health and to get healthier and maybe even get better in your diabetes, then I don't think tracking every day uh, for the rest of your life is going to bring you much. It brings you a good overview in the beginning mm-hmm. and certain checkpoints, absolutely. But more than that, I don't think it's actually healthy. <laughs> My gosh, I so agree. Thank you so much for bringing that up because that yeah. is, is a great topic that I'm super passionate about. Okay, do you next ever, week's pod? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you ever have carbs? Like, do you ever have um, a sweet potato or some rice or something like that? No, not really. And you don't miss it? I I really don't miss it because now I know how bad I feel when I do have them. Um, I always get the question of, oh, don't you ever want dessert? Like this awesome chocolate cake, look how yummy it looks. Yeah, it looks amazing. It looks really yummy. And of course, if I could, I would eat it. But I know that it's going to taste good in my mouth for exactly three seconds. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to start feeling bad. And for me, it's not worth it. Fine, sweet potato and rice and that that takes slightly longer (laughs) until I start (laughs) feeling bad. But it's a a similar concept. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't, you know, I, I know that I'm going to feel bad um, from eating this. So therefore, I probably shouldn't. And I'm going to be happier, a happier person for it. So it's worth it. The payout of how you feel is worth not having that piece of cake or sweet potato or whatever. Absolutely. I do know that you like chocolate, though, right? Yes. But then it's, you know, the 90% yes. really high percentage chocolate that I know contains very little sugar and that stuff you can really like I can't eat more than a square at a time exactly (laughs) until I start feeling oh yeah that's about enough thank you (laughs) yeah that's plenty of that so that's kind of your indulgence that's your treat is this 90% dark chocolate wow I sound like such a weirdo (laughs) no (laughs) no I think a lot of us are right there with you including myself I actually had been stuck at 85% for a really long time and I just made the switch to 100% and yeah. now 85% is too sweet. Yeah, I know. Like, I don't even okay? want it. No, me neither. I, I, um, when, I, when I first tried the 90%, I'm like, oh, my God, this is going to be terrible. This is going to be mm-hmm. super bitter and so bad. And then I tried it, and I'm like, wow, it's actually smoother than the 85. Like, the 85 was somehow, like, sweeter and bitter at the same time. Like, it was really weird. Yeah, I know. And then I started the, the 90, and I'm like, Oh, this is this is about my 
this is my sweet spot. <laughs> yeah, this is perfect. Right. Yeah. Yes. No, trust me, we are a lot of us are in that same boat. I don't uh, <laughs> need much more than that either. And it works out great. And it's just because my taste buds have changed quite a bit, I think. Yeah. So everything's too sweet. Um, okay, so last question. Do you have any advice or guidance or anything that you can give to these ladies that maybe they are thinking about trying keto or are currently doing it, not feeling all that great, not sure what they're doing, trying to follow all these rules, getting just blown away by all of the information out there, the information overload of keto for sure. Um, what do you have to kind of help these ladies out? First of all, don't follow the rules. Be a rebel. <laughs> Agreed. No, because it's these these are great tools to get started. Absolutely. And, you know, all of these rules and regulations and everything that but I wonder where they're they're all listed. I still haven't found sort of I don't either. I, I know. Like is there the keto rule website that has a hundred different rules to follow keto? Probably, but they must have pretty bad, bad search engine optimization. Yeah, we haven't found it. To find it before, before we did. Uh, no, but um, to be a little bit serious about it, <laughs> skip the rules. Uh, try to find your own way. Um, and for the love of everything holy, work with someone who's been through what you are trying to get through yourself. Oh, yes. It so helps to have a little it's, bit of support. It, yeah, and they can because they can they can provide that guidance that you don't get from this website that apparently everyone else has read and not me, um, <laughs> and stuff like that. It's just that sort of that personal insight as well. That oh yeah, okay, well when I was where you are now, then I did this. Maybe you want to try that, or oh I could imagine that this could work for you based on X Y Z sort of thing. Um, so I think that really helps. And also, of course, online communities, mm -hmm. see what other people are doing, try your own way. Uh, if that doesn't work, ah, okay, I'll try what Jody did, you know, whatever. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and I'll, I'll add more magnesium or more uh, Himalayan pink salt to my food and maybe that helps or, oh, she, he, she or he has the same uh, symptoms as I have. Maybe I can try, you know. And that's where I also find that it's so important that people keep sharing their stories mm -hmm. and what they've done and keep helping others. Absolutely. And there's lots of communities out there that are great. Uh, okay. So speaking of, you do work with clients one-on-one? -on -one? Uh, yes, I do. I do. Okay. So they can potentially go to your website and check out how to make that happen. And how do they do that? Give everyone where you are and, and where they can find you. Well, my website you can find at www.hannaboetius.com. I'm sure you can link to that one. <laughs> yes, I absolutely will. Just in case anyone's not sure how to spell that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I don't know why I chose that one. Anyway, um, mainly because this is, it is my name, but apart right. from that, not, not clever. Otherwise, I am a Hannah Diabetes Expert on almost all social media. And are you on Facebook? I am on Facebook and I'm on Instagram pr primarily, a bit on Twitter, but mm -hmm. not right. as much fun as with pictures. <laughs> and we were just talking about this uh, before we started recording. You are very much on the keto scene. So you are at quite a few of these conferences, pretty much all of the conferences that are low carb, keto focused, and you speak at them. I do. So that's part of, I coach people uh, in individually or small groups. 
I do public speaking and I do sort of meetups mm. and workshops uh, for people with diabetes primar- primarily. Um, and I'm always reminded when I go to these big conferences uh, why I keep doing this because the, the amazing stories and the amazing people that you meet is just, it's so heartwarming. Oh my gosh. And, uh, you know, it leaves me with like, um, chicken skin every time. Yes, it is true though. <laughs> you do meet amazing people and hear great stories and you make friends. Like we wouldn't have known each other if this, none of this happened. And now we get to see each other two more times in the next, uh, yeah. what, six months. So yeah, it'll be great. Um, thank you so much, Hannah, for coming on the show and just kind of explaining this whole diabetes thing. I think that's really important to take it down to a level that can be understandable for everyone because it is something that's very prevalent, whether it's with you or your family members members or friends. And yet it seems like it's something that is very complicated and very hard to get past. But um, we have we have some answers now. Hopefully. (laughs) Yes, definitely. So thank you so much for being on. Um, Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And we'll talk soon. Yeah, absolutely. See you soon. Okay. Hey, lady, do you want to make sure that you are doing the ketogenic diet the right way for you? Do you want to make sure you're getting all of those amazing benefits that come with producing ketones and not putting any extra stress on your body? Then head to my website and check out the Fat Burning Female Project. We have a new class starting soon, and I'd love to have you be a part of it. Head to bit.ly slash fatburningfemale, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash fatburningfemale, and make sure to sign up to get a notification of when the next class will be. Can't wait to see you there.